us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Please be seated. Perhaps one of the greatest indications of the basic reliability of the gospel text is just how slow-witted, clueless, and embarrassing the disciples are. Um, Think about it for a moment. If the gospels were the invention of the early church and the apostles, as some claim, um, uh, an attempt to put forth their own agenda, uh, then why is it that they come off so very poorly? If the apostles were just making this stuff up, wouldn't you think that they would make themselves look a bit better? Take our gospel lesson this morning, for instance. It hardly builds confidence in the leadership of the apostles. Uh, For instance, our lesson begins with a clear declaration by Jesus about what his mission will consist of. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested by the authorities And eventually he's going to be executed. He also reveals quite explicitly, three days after being killed, the Son of Man will rise again. Now Jesus was known for speaking in parables and coded language. Some of his sayings are pretty obscure. But here he speaks very plainly. And yet, Mark adds, but they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Mark might just as well have said, but of course Jesus' disciples were completely oblivious to what he was actually saying. He spoke clearly, but they completely missed the point. They were unable, perhaps unwilling to hear and receive what he was actually telling them. They also lacked the courage to ask him what he meant. No one wanted to appear stupid or uh, ill-informed or less than zealous for the mission. They wanted the illusion of competence rather than the actual thing. And, And just last week in our gospel lesson, Peter himself, um, the chief of the apostles, largely considered their leader, um, who's said to have been the primary source of Mark's gospel, um, similarly missed the point entirely. Uh, Not only that, but he got sharply rebuked by Jesus and called Satan. Get behind me, Satan. I personally find it unlikely that St. Peter or anyone else would invent these stories to make themselves look good. Frankly, Peter and the other disciples come off as unlikable. Um, While Jesus was trying to explain to them the, the horrible death he was about to suffer, what were they doing? They were busy sizing themselves up for royal offices. 
Um, they were arguing about who was the greatest or who would have the top positions in the administration when Jesus became king. They were still thinking in an earthly way. Um, when Jesus confronts them, rather gently, I think, uh, and asks them what they were arguing about, they're too embarrassed to tell them. But he knew. Um, even they realized that they were behaving in a selfish and vain manner when confronted about it. Um, again, if you were going to make some gospel stories up, wouldn't you try your best to make the leaders of the movement look wise and good? You certainly wouldn't want to make them look like a bunch of jerks, which is how they look. Uh, for these those reasons, these readings have a ring of authenticity to them. The, the, these are the stories of men who have been humbled. They were not seeking their own glory or agenda, but that of their master. Um, Jesus responds to their embarrassing self-importance by taking a child in his arms and placing the child in their midst. And he says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. It's sometimes believed that Jesus uh, was holding up the child as a model of behavior, um, of virtue. You might gather that from variations of the story in other Gospels. But here his intention is clearer. Um, I don't think, as many of the church fathers insist, that in asking his disciples to become like children, Jesus is asking them to adopt some supposed virtue peculiar to children. Um, in reference to this passage, one church father, for instance, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce, um, says that children are not inquisitive. They're free from malice, rivalry, and stubborn passion. Um, yeah. Uh, we can excuse the fathers on this point. They generally lived celibate and secluded lives. Um, those of us who have been parents of young children or who have nieces and nephews, brothers and sisters who are young children, know better. Um, no, children are not free from rivalry or stubborn passion. No. Um, I think that Jesus is instead reminding his disciples that in the kingdom of heaven, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Um, they are still thinking in terms of this world, however, this system, this way of, of being that's, that's perishing, that's coming to an end. This world honors those who are strong and powerful, men of status and wealth. But the kingdom belongs to the poor, the despised, the vulnerable, those who are the least. The kingdom is good news for these little ones. And Jesus teaches us to take our place alongside them. Most of us would agree that um, children 
are to be cherished and protected. They're, they're held in very high esteem in our culture, for the most part. Um, maybe that's changing, I don't know. Um, but this was not always so. Uh, much of the honor that children receive in our culture is a result of our Christian heritage. In the ancient world, and Roman culture in particular, the strong and mighty were admired, and the weak and the vulnerable were marginalized. Uh, such a culture had little regard for children. Uh, we learned from Seneca that children who were weak or abnormal were often drowned at birth. Uh, in fact, in the ancient world, children were routinely left to die of exposure, especially if they were girls. Children were often sold into slavery as well. Even the disciples seemed to regard children as little more than pests. They were not considered persons in any meaningful sense. Um, their lives were certainly considered less valuable than the lives of adults. Um, this is in strong contrast to the Christian notion that every human life has inherent dignity and worth regardless of social status or physical or mental capacity. Um, to humble ourselves and become like children then means to abandon any claim to power or status in this world. It means to become a non-person in the eyes of the world. Children have no authority, but they're completely under the authority of their parents. Uh, they are utterly powerless, completely dependent. What do children have that they have not received? They depend on their parents for everything. Everything they have and everything they know, they receive from their parents. Um, I can recall how difficult and demanding it was to care for a tiny infant. Um, while newborns of, of some animals, such as horses, learn to walk at birth, and they already have some sort of independence, human infants are born helpless, and they remain completely dependent on their parents for everything for a considerable period of time. They are nursed, they're changed and washed, and all the while they're what? They're observing and learning. Um, to humble ourselves and become as children means to take this posture towards God, towards our Heavenly Father. We must renounce ourselves and instead become what He would have us to be. Nothing we have is our own. We should demand nothing but what He would give to us. Jesus says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Uh, this child is the one. This, this, this child that he took from among them. The smallest and the least important among them. This is the one that he chooses as his representative. Jesus always identifies with the last and the least. To receive a child in the name of Christ is to receive her as a representative of Christ, and in some sense, even as resembling Christ. Um, in a surprising sense, 
There is that in God which is like a child. Um, Powerless and helplessness may not at first seem like divine attributes to us, but in Christ they are revealed as such. If we truly want to follow in Christ's footsteps, we must strive for these things as well. Um, God the Son humbled himself and became a child. Being equal in power and dignity to the Father, he was content to become lowly, without status. He was content to be handed over into human hands, into cruel hands, and executed. His submission went all the way to death, even death on a cross. Christ chose powerlessness and dependence. He says, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And by myself, he says, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Rather than jockeying for position or trying to exalt ourselves, we should follow the example of Christ, who took the form of a servant, who, although being the mighty and eternal God, chose to become a helpless baby. Christ surrendered everything to do the will of the Father and even embraced a shameful and ignoble death on the cross. He did not exalt himself, and yet he was exalted by God. The way to greatness in the kingdom is only through humility, service, renunciation. We should look for God, not in the strong and the important things of this world, but in the forgotten and ignored, the simple and humble. The great Scottish novelist and preacher, uh, George MacDonald, once wrote, Brothers and sisters, have you found our king? There he is, kissing little children and saying they are like God. There he is at the table with the head of a fisherman lying in his bosom, and somewhat heavy at heart, that even he, the beloved disciple, cannot yet understand him well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.